If you're a regular listener to Smashing the Ceiling or you've heard about the Skylark Collective, you'll know by now that I'm all about raising up other women. And since you last heard from me, as well as a lot of new podcasts, I've also been enjoying Femme Foundry, a one-of-a-kind global community for womankind to discover, learn, connect and thrive. One of the key components that sets Femme Foundry apart is their focus on the multifaceted aspects of a woman's life from her career to her wellness, from her spirituality to her mental health. This, along with their founding team and Femme Foundry's global partners, mean they are uniquely positioned as a media powerhouse for women's empowerment on a large scale. With a new improved 2.0 version of the app just launched, Femme Foundry has huge global ambitions with a mission to become the bumble of humanised female networking, learning and support. So download Femme Foundry today and have a look. I would love to know your thoughts. Hello there. Welcome to Smashing the Ceiling, the podcast that showcases the lives of women who've achieved amazing things in their careers, some who've got a really cool or unusual job, and some who've just had a really interesting life. I'm your host, Naomi Mella founder of the Skylark Collective and the International Women's Podcast Awards. And each week I'll be sitting down with one woman to hear about the ceilings they've smashed through in their lives. The glass ceiling isn't all about corporate boardrooms, international skyscrapers and towering stilettos. Although don't get me wrong, I love a good high heel. There are women breaking down barriers everywhere, shattering stereotypes and forging their own unique and wonderful career paths. We're here to share their stories with you to let you know how they got where they are and how their mentors, mistakes and motivations have led them to achieve the things they have. We're an independent podcast, so if you'd like to support us, please follow, rate and review wherever you listen. Everyone asks you to do this, I know, but it really does make a difference and we'd love it if you could. If you're into meditation and healing, you may know that this is a Tibetan sound bowl. If not, you've got a treat in store, as we'll be digging deep into the world of holistic health in this episode. My guest today is Justine Nagar, a spiritual healer, mentor and creator of bespoke crystal malas. I met Justine a couple of years ago, and she's one of those rare people with a degree of warmth, insight, intuition, and care for others that is incredibly striking. But like many of my guests, Justine's career is multi-layered, with twists and turns along the way. She went to finishing school, and we chat about that. She ran a very successful company in private members clubs all over London and the southeast. And she's worked in social media along the way, before starting her current business, Aurora Facets, after a long period of chronic illness. She is the queen of the pivot, you might say. But she started by telling me about her early life. When I grew a bit older, I wanted to do psychology, but I remember having a conversation with my mother when I was younger, and it's a bit, it's a bit cringeworthy, but she said to me, what do you want to do when you're older? And I was like, I just want to like help loads of people. I had this idea that I could just, it's really cringeworthy now when I think about it, I could heal lots of people. But obviously being a child, I didn't understand the concept of that or what that meant. And we didn't have conversations in our households about healing 
or anything like that. So, so yeah, I kind of left it with that. And there are a few little things that happened when I was growing up when I was young, where I would sort of go to my mother and sort of say that, that I'd been talking to various people that weren't here. They were sort of passed and giving messages on to, to other people, which she kind of took on board and just acted like it was all very normal, but we never had any conversations about that. So yeah, I then went down mainstream, um, wanted to do the psychology, didn't have the uh, the exams for it, the, the A-levels or the right O-levels for it. So I had to kind of give up that dream. Um, and because I didn't know what I wanted to do at that stage, everything I kind of suggested got sort of, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. Uh, I ended up going to finishing school, which I know is a bit like old era, isn't it? It's like really oh old God, era I'd finishing school. I'd love to talk school. about that. Oh, no. It was like, it was, <laughs> you know, people would be sent off to finishing school. Basically, it used to have a really good reputation, but it was pretty much go and find a husband. I was from quite an eccentric old-fashioned family. Um, I was the youngest that went to finishing school. I was only 16 and I was a country bumpkin lumbered off to London to the this college with people I had never kind of met before in my life didn't really know what was happening spent a year there was a complete waste of time by the time I finished sort of um it didn't have a good reputation anymore finishing school I had a very bad reputation so it really wasn't something that you wanted to put onto your CV but it was quite an experience well it really was I mean we had things like cooking lessons which were you know, the, the the cook would cook a meal, we'd watch him cook it, and then we'd eat it. <laughs> that was it. And learning to walk down a catwalk and learning how to get out of a car and learning how to speak and then doing all the secretarial side as well, business studies and stuff. So yeah, that, that was a year there. And how did you um, take, you mentioned there that you'd had a lot of no's about, no, you can't do this, no, you can't do that. How did you kind of feel about that when you were that age and that sort of being told, those things were not an option for you. Do you remember much about that, Justine? Yeah, I think it just it just made me come to a standstill because if you're enthusiastic and you want to do something and you're just getting told all the time, you know, you're not clever enough or you, you're not talented enough or skilled enough, um, but quickly make your mind up what else you want to do. If you've got all those things sort of before you that you want to do and then suddenly coming up with other options – it's quite difficult and I think with teenagers I mean I've got two teenager boys and you know they they certainly at this age aren't definitive about what they want to do so I think you have to kind of just let let them go with the flow and and see what happens but I wanted to do the psychology but I think now is a lot different to then what you needed and actually my eldest is going to you need to study psychology so I'm actually really happy even though I didn't get to do it that, that he's got to do it so it's 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 amazing so you started your career as a secretary in the first instance how did you what skills do you think you picked up in that that sort of shaped the rest of your career and and how did you how did you find that as a first job at, at such a young age Justin? I think the the finishing school in its, in itself was educational in in life experience because I was having to mix with a, a sort of quite a different dynamic of people to what I was used to and I was quite young and going away from home again um as far as what I actually learned, I mean, I did the usual shorthand, Pitman shorthand, the, the typing and, and sort of stuff like that. And I did work for a while temporarily, but kind of decided that I didn't, I didn't learn enough. My heart wasn't there. My passion wasn't there. I would work in hospitals in like the psychology department and things like that. But I wanted to work with people. That was my calling, was to work with people. So being stuck in an office didn't really 
me that. I mean, I was selling what well, one of the jobs I had was for a publisher selling Bibles and prayer books. I used to get loads of sales, but it wasn't what I wanted to do, you know. So I've had quite a coloured history of jobs that I've done, but it, it came to a point where you eventually, you know, you you're old enough to sort of then be allowed to make your decision as to what you want to do, which finally came. So, and so, how did you make the decision to move away from that path of sort of secretarial work and in the office? Um, how did you leap into trying something new, and and how did you make a decision about what that was going to be in the first instance? I think it was catering to the wanting to work with people knowing I couldn't do the psychology then. So what else could I do where I could work with people? And I was always interested in the aesthetic side of things and sort of, you know, in some kind of service where I thought people would feel better by something I might have, um, you know, experienced with them in some kind of profession. So that was beauty therapy. So that's what, what I did. I went to a private college in London again and and did my qualifications and that was great I really enjoyed that and then then that was it my my career was kind of set for a long time and I tended to progress more from just traditional beauty therapy into holistic therapy so yeah it was good Mm. and this um concept of holistic therapies for people who that might be a new term what do we mean when we're talking about kind of holistic therapies as opposed to say beauty therapy in its own right Justine with the holistic therapy, because I had my own business, I, I had the sort of privilege of being able to tailor my treatments and products that I use. So I would do um, an all round consultation with people. And a lot of people that came to see me would just book time. Uh, we'd go through a consultation with them and I'd literally pick and choose there and then what they wanted. So it's working with, with the whole person dynamic from dietary to how they're feeling physically and what's going on in their life, like what they, what they want to achieve. So it's kind of like, not it's it's similar to what I do now in a healing format as in the holistic bespoke side but it's just it's more on the physical body than the energetic body and you had that business um your own business for nearly 20 years doing all of that you know you've obviously built up a really good client base in London and been very successful um how did you kind of build that as an entrepreneur because I think a lot of uh, women and particularly mothers you know you're kind of gradually building a business from scratch and they might not see themselves as an entrepreneur particularly if you're working part-time but how did you go about on that sort of entrepreneur journey over such a long period and to make that business such a success Justine? Well I worked predominantly in private members clubs so once I won my first contract um, to work in, in a private members club and I had started off working for somebody else in a private members club. So I knew what it was like and I knew what I wanted to do and what I didn't want to do. So I won the contract, got into, they were weights then. It was a big branch of private health clubs. And as soon as I got in and sort of established a reputation, I'd then be asked to, to go to various other ones. So I was in sort of... Um, Norbury, Windsor, the city, uh, Clapham Junction, but I had um, different rooms. So I had therapists that would work for me on a self-employed basis. So we're open seven days a week. We had a vast array of different treatments and services that that we would provide. And I think it's it's just reputation. I mean, I wasn't in the days of having computers and social media and stuff like that. It literally was you, you would be there with the members and they would get to know you. So it was just reputation, sort of word of mouth. Um, and building up from there and making sure I had really good staff because it wasn't just about me working it was it was my team as well and 
making sure that what we provided in the demographic area was appropriate. So we didn't provide the same things in one area necessarily to the other. So it was just making sure that we we were tailoring to the specific clientele that would come into those membership places. We often talk about the sort of the juggle of of childcare business work in general, that sort of thing. You are managing a multi-centre business with multiple members of staff seven days a week, during which time you had a couple of kids. How did you um how did you manage all of that together, Justine? What was your sort of uh day-to-day like at that point in terms of managing all of that together when I had one child um it was it was tricky but it was manageable and I think at that stage I kind of had reduced my hours and was doing much more of the sort of uh, focusing on the managerial sort of running of it and I had a head therapist then as well so uh taking a slight step back but still working physically and doing a lot of the sort of admin side but when I had my second child that that was a struggle because you, if you have a business that's open seven days a week from seven till 10 at night, for example, and you've got shifts and therapists working, you're on call permanently. And I remember seeing a picture of me in bed with cabbages on my boobs because I had mastitis <laughs> and I was black under my eyes like suitcases and I had papers all over me and a baby and I looked like a drug addict. I was just, I looked so ill. And I looked at that picture and I was like, oh God, something's got to change. And that that's when I, I started to sort of cut it down. I went down to one place and then, then eventually I just was based at home because I just thought, well, at this stage, I just want to devote more of my time to my children. And I had clients who would visit me at home. I dug the basement out basically and created a beautiful treatment room down there. Yeah. So there was a transition. Yeah, I was going to say there's often a, a sort of tipping point, isn't there? And actually, like that photo that you describe is sounds like that was your tipping point where you just reach a moment of complete exhaustion. And actually, one of the things I think is really interesting talking to female business owners in particular is you get to you often reach a point where either it's going to go stratospheric and you really have to invest everything. It has to go big or you just reach a point where you say that's enough, like we need to scale back. And I had a really interesting discussion with that about that with um, Elizabeth Agarby, who was on this podcast a few weeks ago, um, who's a, written books about entrepreneurship and things. And she talked about that moment where you don't want to grow beyond the point of, at which you can cope, you know, and actually it's, it's really interesting to hear you say, I just scaled that all back. And, and actually quite matter of factly, when that's something that you'd been building for a really quite a long time. Yeah. I think also the uh, the other contributing factor to scaling back on that also was the fact that I was I had an independent business which I'd put my heart and soul into and what you find with a lot of those kind of clubs is they sometimes get bought out and then they they want to completely structure and change the way that you work and I think when you've been doing something for a long time and it's worked very well it's very hard to suddenly be put in a situation where it's like you can't use those products you have to use these products you have to do these services and for me it was it was very short-sighted so I kind of also lost that sort of freedom of expression and working the way that I wanted to work and I just thought well I'm not going to do it in a way that I don't believe in so therefore that and having two children I I decided to yeah 
say it back. And we're going to come on to talking about Aurora Facets and your and your business in healing. But um, I, one thing I'm amazed by, Justine, like doing a bit of research for this and looking at your career is you're someone who has really pivoted when time required it. You know, you've had a stint doing some work with social media. You've had a bit of experience in construction. You've worked in offices. <laughs> like, you know, you, you really are someone who you know, we talk about smashing the ceiling, but you're kind of just turning your hand to whatever it is that you you need. Have you viewed your career as a sort of opportunity to learn new skills? Or how has that come about that you've had all these kind of, you know, we use the term multi-hyphenate or portfolio careers, but you've certainly had a lot of different experiences. I mean, both the sort of male figures in my life were very entrepreneurial. So I had a stepdad and a dad very entrepreneurial, ran their own businesses, were a bit like we could put their hand to anything. So I suppose that was my that was my sort of uh, template when I grew up and and sort of yeah just deep diving into into whatever. And yeah, I think the there was a period when I was ill and I had to kind of accept at that stage I thought I'd never be able to work with people again. But I was very isolated at home. And I wanted to get to a stage where I could start to meet people again and, and kind of we'd moved to Isheen and I didn't know anybody here. So I dived into a few different things and some of it was charity work, some of it was social media. I started by developing a blog and writing that blog was a way for me to go out to local shopkeepers when I could finally get out of the house and walk. And I, I'd literally go and say, hi, I'm Justine. I run the Living in Isheen blog. Can I take some photos? Can I chat to you? And they're like, yeah, great. They love that. And so that's how I got to meet people. And I love writing. So that's that that was lovely. And then I just started doing charity work to go into offices and uh, age UK and stuff like that. Yeah, I love learning. I do love learning and trying different things. But I think also now with the healing, it has many different facets. You get to a point where you're like, well, it's this, this and this that resonates with me, not the whole not the whole shebang of it is just these few things and you kind of whittle it down to what key things that you can work with. So you mentioned in passing there about being ill but that subsequently had quite a profound effect on your career Justine. Are you happy to just tell us a little bit about what happened to you and how that impacted your life and your work at that stage? So it started when I was still working as a therapist. I started to get spasms in my chest and they were unexplainable and they went on for a long time. And I'd gone from being very physically fit. I had a horse. I was riding all the time, working in the gym and obviously working as a therapist. But um, there were certain movements that I would do that would cause this huge pain in my chest and this lump to come out and nobody could explain it. So I started doing less and less physical activities. And then we moved house. And um, <clears throat> I decided to go to the, the start going to the gym because I was very fed up of the kind of like sedentary life and not being able to do what I wanted to do. And after a couple of sessions of that, it wasn't the gym. It was obviously my body wasn't attuned to what, what I did. Um, I felt this searing pain and it was front and back of my um, torso and I became bed bound. And that was kind of like a downward spiral. I basically couldn't, I couldn't move. I couldn't even move my arms at the beginning and I couldn't have sheets on my skin. My, my nerves became so hyperactive that sheets would feel like burning pain. And every time I moved my arms, I would start to get this constriction and this pain happening. So for a very long period of time, I was under investigation. I had sort of spinal injections, went to pain clinics, 
all that kind of stuff. But I spent a few years where I couldn't sit. Everything I did was either standing or lying down. And that's exhausting because you think you look at sort of older people or people that have some kind of disability, they need to have a chair ready. For me, it was like, uh, I can't sit. So, um, and I had young children. I couldn't take them to school. Uh, my oldest child has Tourette's and ADD. And when he went to secondary school, he got bullied terribly in his first year. And I remember him ringing me up, asking if I could come and collect him. He was in tears. And I couldn't do that. I was literally flat out in bed. And it was the most awful experience. Um, and yeah, through through sheer determination, um, I sort of went, I, I think orthodox medicine has its place, but I was on like 20 tablets at that time. Um, all sorts of things. Uh, I would rattle if I would walk. And uh, <laughs> I, I was just, I'm quite pig headed. I was just like, no, I, I'm not going to be told that I can't get better because I was told at the pain management clinic this won't go. Um, and so I was like, no, uh, I am going to get better. So that was my journey, my starting journey. When I started to do the healing, it was investigative. And then it was when I ended up going to um, college and doing my Eastern and Western healing, it wasn't to become a healer. That wasn't my end goal. People would say, do you want to become a healer? And I'd say, I've learned that, that life can chuck curveballs. I don't have an end goal apart from the fact that I'm going to come off medication. I'm going to get better. And I can sit in a room on a chair for eight hours and, and not be better than the next day. And as it just happened, obviously things did change. Um, a lot of things changed and, and now I'm able to be in a place to help others. And did you ever get a diagnosis for your condition or was did it remain a sort of medical mystery, Justine? Well, chronic pain was was the diagnosis. And then when I pushed for more, they always put everything under the umbrella of fibromyalgia, but also costochondritis, which, chondritis, which is inflammation of the um, rib cage, which is superiorly painful. And I think also on top of that, you know, I, I now work with sort of trauma. There were elements of trauma in my life, especially just before that period um, that contributed to it. And also the fact that I was, yeah, I was flat out working. You know, I didn't, I didn't stop. I didn't slow down. I didn't listen to the signs. So it was a combination of things. Let's dig into that a little bit about the effect that trauma can have on the body physically because I think often people who struggle with chronic pain struggle for a long time and it is an area where you know if you break your leg conventional medicine can easily help you but if you suffer with chronic pain for example and these sort of fibromyalgia symptoms or anything else similarly there's lots of chronic conditions where people really suffer and medicine is not in its traditional sense is not always that helpful can you talk a little bit about how trauma in particular can produce some of these signs, Justine, and how you came to realise that, that that is the case? Yes, it's, it's working on the premise of integrating the physical body, the mental, the emotional and the energetic body. Um, and trauma can be something that you create an imprint with at that time that the trauma happened. And the trauma doesn't have to be something that an outsider would view as massive. It, it can be on any scale. It's how the person perceived it when it when it happened. And that basically creates like a thought pattern, emotions that are attributed to it at that particular time, which creates a physical response. And sometimes we then have that um, unknown trigger because often we've forgotten what the trauma is. 
um, that just perpetuates through life. And it's like going on a hamster wheel. It's repeating the same cycle over and over, and then it can escalate. Uh, your body will then start to send you signals as to discomfort or dis-ease. Um, and it's, it's a question of being in touch with your en energetic body, your physical body, to have a, a good relation, to, to be able to hear and listen to what's going on, to be able to sort of stop and know the signs. We know what the physical body is. We know what our mental body is. Can you just talk a little bit about the energetic body, Justine, and how that fits into that kind of um, circle, I suppose, alongside your mental and physical health as well? Yeah, so you have um, your energy body internally, which extends to outside of your physical body. And you, I work predominantly with what we call chakras, which are like energy wheels. There are seven main chakras that run up the center of the body. And if you imagine wheels spinning, they, 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 they spin one way and the other way, representing energy coming in, the energy going out, the masculine, the feminine. And those sort of, if you imagine them, vortexes within your body extend to outside your body and you have energetic layers running around your body, which is your auric field. All those lines, if you imagine beautiful sort of energetic lines coming out of those vortex, will pass through organs. They pass through your physical body. So they, they have a bearing. Your body has a bearing on your energy. Your energy has a bearing on your, on your physical body as well. And it's very much like in acupuncture, you have meridians going down. Those are energy lines as well, and you'll have certain pressure points. And again, what happens in your body has an effect on that, and that has an effect on your body. But on top of this we're surrounded within an energy web. So it's like when you chuck um, a pebble into a pond, uh, this beautiful still pond, chuck a tiny little pebble and you get all those ripples. So that's what happens with your yourself physically. You're attached to everybody else and everything. So when there's a big collective, say, of fear, which is what happened in lockdown, especially if you're sensitive to it, but it was hard not to be sensitive at that time to it. You could walk out the door, feel fine, and suddenly, boom, you'd be like, whoa, where did that come from? And you feel very, uh, you suddenly take on that fear because it's all pervasive in the web of energy around you. And it can be the same. You walk into a room, you meet somebody, you must have had it. You meet someone, you're like, you click, it's great. You're in alignment, the, the synergy is working. You meet someone else and you're just like, there's nothing wrong with them. But there's just something, it, it, it's like scratching your nails down a blackboard. And you're like, what is it? There's something that's just not kind of working. Um, and it doesn't mean it can't work in the future or you can't work on it. But it, it's just at that moment in time is not working. Or you get you meet that person where you meet them and you're like, oh, my God, all my spideys are up to be like, this person is not a good person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, you know, quite often it's uh, that is things like triggers. And that's looking at that person and seeing what it's reflecting in you. Why is it triggering you? What's it bringing up, up in you? So hmm. it's, it's quite interesting. So when you first went to kind of train in, you, you mentioned Eastern and Western healing. What's the difference between those two, Justine? And uh, can you talk to us a little bit about the learning that you did with all of that? Well, I first started going back um, with my initial healing training was Reiki and then doing my Reiki master. But that was revisiting it from 15 years prior to that when Reiki wasn't very popular. And I had done some crystal training then as well, working with the chakras, but the, it was in someone's house. It was a completely different ball game then. 
So I did my Reiki, then I was doing sound and things like that, crystals again. And then I went to the College of Psychic Studies to do my two years accreditation, uh, Eastern and Western. So the Eastern side is working more with the with the chakras. Um, and the Western side is, you know, you'll, you'll have for many, many years, people have been doing healing with the, with the energy body. So though I work with sound crystals, chakras, um, you can work with anything. It's energy at the end of the day that you could dress it up with symbols. You can dress it up with all different tools that you feel alignment to work with, but it is actually all energy healing at the end of the day. But the Eastern side is brilliant because you're working with, with the chakras and you have a very tangible way that makes sense as to how it is affecting your physical body and there's so much research and work done on that that you you have something to grasp to actually work with when you're healing with people and you have those insights ah that area there is affected by this and that's because of this kind of thing so you've got something to work with and when you say working with the chakras if somebody were to come to you as a client or patient what does that actually entail from a practical perspective when somebody was if somebody is to be is to undertake healing as part of their treatment for a condition or as part of their daily life so when i work with a client it's always a combination of an element of spiritual mentoring as well as physical healing be it distant or or on the couch on the couch will mean hands-on or hands-off traditional sort of palm healing as we call it um the spiritual mentoring side I feel is extremely important because it's like if you if you have something a wonderful facial and you go home and you start using um rubbish products on your skin you're kind of throwing all the money down the drain it's the same with healing if you don't start to learn to recognize things about yourself you're not able to work with the amazing sort of healing reaction that's taken place with you during the session so it's about self-empowerment for me I want someone to eventually fly free spread their wings and and step out in a place of empowerment eventually um and so when somebody's on the couch you generally get a feeling for somebody what they'll need by what they're talking to do I need to use crystals do I need to use sound for example if somebody uh, was really detached from their physical body um, and had never had healing before, and you work on your intuition, I, I would do t- the Tibetan bowl on them because it's very physical, it's very visceral, and they get to, to feel what it's like, and it very much brings them immediately back into their body. Um, and then I might use crystals at um, a different time, and then I use different uh, scripts and different techniques within my healing that are for different things such as cord cutting and and so forth. So you mentioned a Tibetan bowl there and we've also mentioned crystals a few times. I'm very interested in crystals. Um, I think it's typically one of the things that people who are a bit sneery about healing and things will often talk about crystals in the very derogatory sense. Um, I'm really love to hear what you do with crystals and what what part they play in healing. So crystals for me, uh, I mean, I still have crystal that I dug up when I was a child. I've been working with them for so many years. But crystals for me, when I do healing, is pretty much like having a turbo boost. So I can do my healing without crystals, but pretty much I love it because you you just, the, the, the whole sensation of the energy just creates a massive expansion and just sort of, you know, tenfold of what you're experiencing without crystals doesn't mean to say if you don't use crystals that you don't do effective healing you do but it's what what each therapist um resonates with and so during uh crystal healing 
And any kind of healing, first and foremost, what I always work with is the grounding elements and stones in particular. When I say do crystal healing, I work with a lot of stones. It's not just crystals that I work with for the grounding element, making sure that people are sort of attached in their physical body when they're having the healing. Because I've worked very much on the premise that, you know, whatever you receive energetically, the energy, our energy body is housed in a physical body and it's this physical body that is in this physical world. So we need to bring the energy with our physical body attached to this world out into the world to create change. Because if we just stay up in our head and we're disassociated from our body, which is what happens a lot with pain, trauma, um, things like that, we, we tend to sort of cut off and there's a massive disconnect between the two. Crystals, the most basic way I work is that I work with the chakras. I do dousing at the beginning and I literally scan over the body with my pendulum, finding out which chakras um, are working well, which chakras aren't working so well. Where's the energy? Is it mainly in? Is it out? Is it blocked? Is there something else um, compensating for it? And from that, I then will, I, I'm always connected to spirit when I'm working. I will um, be led to choose specific crystals to lay on their body and obviously i i don't know i've had about three to four years uh training with it now there are certain ones you shouldn't pit in certain places and should in others um and then once they're all laid you literally connect the crystals you connect the energy lines um and then you start working um hands on hands off on the person as well it, it's really like deep diving into their into their energy field but i think the minute you book your healing and you make that inquiry, you've started the process. It's not just when when you walk in the door. And are most people coming to you with physical ailments, mental ailments? Is it often combinations? Like what sort of things do you see commonly? And what are the sort of complaints, I guess, that people often come to you for help with, Justine? It's often a combination because, um, you know, something, especially if something's been long term, <clears throat> it ends up having a physical effect. So a lot of the time, and, and sometimes people just know something's not right. But they don't actually know what it is. And that's part of the beauty of the healing is that, that, that something can be happening with somebody physically for a long time, and they're just looking at physical. Say anorexia, anorexia eating disorders, something, something physical. And then when you start going back through their timeline and you can pinpoint something, that triggered them to have a dissociation or some kind of um, big self-judgment on their body or not wanting contact, not wanting closeness. Um, and that's when the flower starts to blossom and then it all starts to make sense. And then we can start working on that once we've got down to the, down to the root of it. You can still work on it even if you don't know the root because that that's the point of faith that you you – I don't have to know your name or anything about you. You can come and have healing and I can just start working on you and it will have an effect. But obviously the more that we dig into it, and also I think when you're talking to somebody and they get their own self-revelations, that's massive and very self-empowering. Fascinating. Your business, Aurora Facets, has been going for a good few years now. What's your sort of vision for the future and where you want to be taking that, Justine? Because you've had such an interesting career. You know, you've done lots of different things, as I mentioned. My vision for the future, I mean, I love working one-to-one. -one. I obviously know there are um, constraints on expanding when you're just working one-to-one. -one, but I think 
no matter what I do in the future, I would love to teach. I will still always work one-to-one because I think it's really important for teachers to keep the hands-on experience and to always at least have been a practitioner, whether you're still a practitioner when you're, when you're teaching. For now, I'm loving my group sessions that I have um, online, which is what lockdown precipitated for me. I'm absolutely loving the fact that I can now have clients back in person and working in the new way that I do with programs and the, the, the bespoke healing and tailoring it exactly to, you know, what people need at the time. But future-wise, yeah, teaching, I would like to, to teach eventually. Perfect. And I must say, having known Justine for a while now, she is extremely giving of her time and is one of the kindest people you will ever meet. So um, if you have any questions about anything we've discussed or you want to hear more, then do not hesitate to get in touch with her because I know she would be delighted to hear from you. Um, And I always throw the floor open to my guest at the end of the interview, Justine, to say, is there any bits of wisdom around your career or anything else to do with your working life that we haven't discussed that you think other people would benefit from hearing about? I, I would say one of the things that I tend to work on, I'm, I'm talking about what I work with a lot, is creativity and manifestation. And a lot of people think uh, manifestation, creativity is just about the, the easel and the paint on the, on the canvas. But creativity and manifestation is also about what you physically bring into this world. And if you are struggling with that, to, to look at a far broader spectrum than just sort of um, what's in front of you and also learning to listen to your gut and to your intuition because when you ask that question um, I'd sort of help people to sort of ask you know what do I need to do when you put that out there to you the universe you are putting out the question to have an answer to it but don't have uh, judgment or constraints on how you're going to receive that information be open to receive it in whatever way it's shown to you and have the faith that it's shown to you in the best way that's possible and and be open to making changes and maybe switching a little bit and not being too rigid with with your path and what you think you need to do such good advice I'm all over that I'm as somebody who loves to switch uh, I I feel that that is excellent advice uh Justine thank you so much for your time today and for getting on the podcast it's been a pleasure to chat to you um and we look forward to seeing you soon <laughs> Thank you. That's all for this week. You'll find all the links you need to everything we've discussed in this episode in the show notes that will be sitting right there in front of you on whatever podcast app you use. So do just have a look in there if you want more info or have a sneaky peek at the socials. If you've enjoyed this episode, please just share it wherever you can on your own social media. And if you found the podcast interesting or useful, then please do tell a friend. We're always keen for new listeners. If you can find it in your heart to rate and review the podcast on iTunes or give us a shout out on your socials, then I would love you very much as it helps others to find us. We're on Instagram and Facebook at The Skylark Collective and our website is www.skylarkcollective.co.uk. See you next time.